open to the Gospel of Mark, let me read to you a harmony of the four Gospels of this particular moment that we'll be looking at, the time in which the Lord Jesus gives up his spirit in death. Beginning with Matthew's words, Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, the sun was darkened, and there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there when they heard that said, Look, this man is calling for Elijah. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there. Immediately one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed of hyssop, and put it to his mouth, and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, Let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him and take him down. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, and bowing his head, he breathed his last and yielded up his spirit. Then, behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming up out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So when the centurion who stood opposite him and those with him who were guarding Jesus, saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly and glorified God, saying, Truly, this man was the Son of God, and certainly this was a righteous man. And the whole crowd who came together to that site seeing what had been done, beat their breasts and returned. But all his acquaintances and many women who followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, stood at a distance watching these things. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the less, and of Joseph, and Salome, the mother of Zebedee's sons who also followed him and ministered to him when he was in Galilee, and many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. This is God's word. May the Lord give us ears to hear what he has to say to us today. Let's turn now to the Gospel of Mark in chapter 15. Mark 15, we'll look together at 
verses 31 to, excuse me, 33 to 41. God was forsaken by God. That is the message of the cross. That's what took place on the cross of Christ. God was forsaken by God. God is holy and righteous, and therefore he must judge sin. And that is the starting point for the message of salvation. You see, understanding the gospel begins with an understanding of who God is. It begins with an understanding of God's holy character and his righteous demands. If we neglect that foundation, we are not going to properly appreciate how Jesus met the standard that we could never meet. God made us in his image, and he loves us, and yet the scriptures say that all of us have sinned. And because of that, God is too holy to associate with us. That's what the prophet Habakkuk says. God demands perfect righteousness, which we cannot meet. We are sinful to the very core of our being. We could never meet the standard that God has set for us. And therefore, his justice requires him to punish all lawbreakers, all sinners. And yet, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus took our place, that Jesus was punished in our place, that God forsook his only son so that we could be reconciled to him. God the Father forsook his only son so that we could be reconciled to him. This was the price of our sin. This is the cost of our salvation. In Mark 15, 33 to 41, we draw three reasons to embrace Jesus as Savior and Lord, which is the only way of salvation. First, with a heart of faith, you need to embrace Jesus Christ as the one who endured the pain of divine abandonment. We see this here where it tells us in verse 33 that it was the sixth hour when darkness spread over the land. The sixth hour is noon. So from noon till 3 p.m., darkness spread over the whole land. This darkness was physical. That is, it was truly dark, and yet there, there was a message being communicated about darkness. In the scriptures, darkness speaks of sin. Darkness speaks of great grief and lament, and it speaks of judgment, and all of that came together and during those three hours when darkness spread over the land, people who loved Jesus were in deep lament and grief, and God was judging our sin. 
by judging his son. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. At 3 p.m., Jesus cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That's Aramaic. He was speaking Aramaic there, and because the Aramaic word for God sounds like Elijah, they thought he was calling out for Elijah, but that's not the case. Jesus was praying in fulfillment of Psalm 22. He was fulfilling the psalm that David himself had experienced and the divine abandonment that he experienced when, for the first time in all of eternity, the Father turned his back upon the Son. For the first time in all of eternity, there was a separation between two members of the Trinity. As Jesus bore our sins in his body on the cross, and God his Father could not look at him, for he could not look at our sin. And so the Father turned his back upon his Son while he judged him in our place. If you turn back to Psalm 22, you see the amazing context and prediction of this divine abandonment that Jesus experienced for us. The psalm is written by David, and so it is something that historically happened in the life of David, and yet David, being an earthly ancestor of the Lord Jesus, the son of David, it is ultimately fulfilled by Christ. If you notice the language that's using, let me just pull out for you, call to your attention, some of the ways that David experienced or ways he suffered that then pointed ultimately to the suffering of Christ. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. David was in a time of intense suffering in which he felt abandoned by God. His feelings were not accurate. But that's what feelings do to us. And so truth must be spoken into our feelings to clarify. Otherwise, we will be led astray. Our sinful nature will always take advantage of our emotions and lead us astray. And so that's why our emotions must be governed by truth. David felt as though he was being abandoned by God. Jesus was truly abandoned by God during those three hours of darkness when our sin was being judged. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. 
You see what David's doing there? He's speaking truth into his feelings. He's saying, this is what my feelings are telling me, but it's not true. What is true is that you are the faithful God who has always remained with your people. This really helps us to be careful we don't make decisions based upon our feelings as opposed to biblical truth as David was talking to himself about what to believe about God. But then he felt despised by others. But I am a worm and not a man, verse 6, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. This is exactly what our Savior experienced. He was despised by others. He was treated with contempt and mocking gestures. And he was assaulted in verse 8. He trusts in the Lord. He was assaulted with these verbal attacks. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. See, he's talking to himself again through praying to God. He's telling himself the truth of what God is like and how he can count on God. On you was I cast from my birth and from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. David was alone. He was in trouble, and he knew that no one on earth could help him. Only God could help him. Jesus, of course, knew the same He was surrounded by enemies. Verse 12, many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. Jesus was surrounded by his enemies. And he was brought to this place of physical exhaustion to the point of death. Verse 14, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Jesus was at the end of himself physically. Intense pain and physical abuse is what he experienced as David describes in verse 16, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. Crucifixion had not even been invented as a form of torture when this psalm was written. This is beautiful testimony of the inspiration of Scripture, that God the Holy Spirit put these words here looking forward to the way the Son would die for us. He would be humiliated. I can count all of my bones, verse 17. They stare 
and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Peter talks about how the writers of Scripture didn't always know exactly what they were writing about. Clearly, this is one of those occasions in which David, from the depths of his being and his personal experience, is writing truth that can only fully be fulfilled by Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is what Jesus endured for you. And for me, he endured the pain of divine abandonment. Perhaps you have experienced some abandonment in your life by a parent or a spouse or a child. Know that the Lord Jesus understands your pain. Know that he's been there. Know that there is nothing that you can go through that he cannot relate to. And he will help you and he will carry you if you run to him. But secondly, we go back to Mark 15 and we notice with a heart of faith, you also need to embrace Jesus as the one who paid off your sin debt in full. Oh, what a glorious truth this is that the Lord Jesus paid off our sin debt in full. Full. Verse 35, some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. According to John, one of those loud cries from the Lord Jesus was this phrase, It is finished. It is finished was actually a financial term. It was a phrase. The Greek word is telestai, meaning satisfaction or paid in full. So when Jesus, in all the human strength he could muster up, shouted as loudly as he could, it is finished, it was triumph. He was shouting triumph over sin, that he had paid our sin debt in full. The Lord Jesus is the only one who could do this. And it says in verse 37 that he breathed his last. Other gospel writers tell us that Jesus gave up his spirit. See, nobody killed Jesus Ultimately, Jesus gave himself up, which is what he had predicted. No one will take my life from me, but I will give it up. It was the willing surrender of our Savior to judgment, to wrath, so that we could be saved. Numerous times the Bible speaks of how The sacrifice of Jesus was a once-and-for-all sacrifice. In other words, it was a sacrifice so perfect, so complete, fully satisfying God 
and God's requirements that there is never ever to be another sacrifice made for sin. Let me just give you a few references here. Let me read them to you. But listen to the repetition, the argument of the New Testament writers concerning the finality of the payment that Jesus made for our sin. Romans 6.10, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Hebrews 7.27, he has no need like those high priests, like the other human high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Hebrews 9.12, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Or Hebrews 9.26, for then he would have had to offer repeatedly, suffer repeatedly. In other words, if his sacrifice and if he as a priest was like all of the previous priests, he would have had to keep doing this. But it says as it is, he has appeared once for all. Once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Hebrews 10.1, for since the law is but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. 10.10, Hebrews, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Once once for all. Why? Because he said it is finished. He said, I have satisfied God's requirement for sinners. God had told Adam and Eve that if they broke his law, they would surely die. And so death was the punishment for sin, two kinds of death, physical death and spiritual death, physical death, the death of the body, which, of course, we're experiencing every day as we get older. But spiritual death, separation from God as they were cast out of the garden. Jesus on the cross experienced both forms of death, the spiritual death he experienced in those three hours of darkness when he was separated from the Father for the first time in all eternity. Then leading to his physical death. So what's the point? The point is that the sacrifice of Christ is the full and final payment for sin. And what that means then for us as sinners is that we must come to God without any payment of our own. You cannot come to God contributing anything to your salvation. You must come to him humbly, willing to receive a gift from him. There are no works of righteousness that will do. There are no religious duties that will earn his favor. No, there is 
Only one price to be paid, and it has been paid in full by the Lord Jesus. You must be trusting in him. At the end of the book of Revelation, Jesus gives this invitation in Revelation 21.6, and he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. To be saved, my friends, we must come to God with no payment of our own. We come to receive a free gift because it's already been paid for. What are you trusting in? What are you doing? Are you doing something to try to pay God? Lay it down. Lay it down. And come to the spring of life without payment. Revelation 22, 7, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Without price. Why? Because Jesus has already paid your sin debt in full. There's a third reason to turn to the Lord Jesus. With a heart of faith, you need to embrace Jesus as the one who opened direct access to God. He opened direct access to God. Prior to the crucifixion and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, one had to come through a system, through the law, in order to enter the presence of God. They needed a priest. But now things have changed, and proof of this is what the Lord did supernaturally. Verse 38 says the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Not from bottom to top. As if man could somehow do some works in order to open the way to God. But no, from top to bottom. And this curtain was one impressive curtain. Exodus 26 describes it in detail. And its purpose was to create a separation Its purpose was to make it very clear. You can't just waltz into the presence of God. God was communicating through that curtain, you are sinful, I am not, I cannot be with you unless you come to me according to the way that I tell you to come to me. Now get out of your mind any resemblance of any curtain in your house. This was a curtain like no other curtains. 30 feet wide, so about 
here. to here, 30 feet wide. Fabric was as thick as your hand, four inches thick. Six stories tall, 60 feet tall. Okay, so here, 30 foot wide curtain, four inches thick, six stories tall. When you looked at that curtain, What message did you hear? There's no way I'm getting to God. There's no way. So I better listen to him. I better do things his way. I better do what he tells me about getting into his presence. And that curtain actually could only be bypassed once a year by the high priest if he was bringing the right sacrifice. But from a distance, all could see that curtain. All could know that there was a barrier between sinners and God. What did God do at the crucifixion? He supernaturally ripped that six-story curtain down the middle to open it forever, saying to all of us as sinners, now you can come freely to me without payment through my son, because he has made the payment for you. Direct access to God. That's mind-blowing. That's not what I was taught as a child the first 19 years of my life. I thought I had to come to God through a priest and tell that priest my sins, and then he would tell me how many prayers I have to say in order to be forgiven. There were all kinds of laws that I had to follow if there was any chance that I was ever going to be accepted by God. And yet the Bible says there's glorious good news Jesus has already paid for my sin debt in full, and I have direct access to God. That has changed my life forever. It's changed my eternal destiny, the message of the gospel. Do you understand this? This is what the death of Christ has done. It has ripped the curtain in two. There is no longer a separation between God and any sinner who will turn to Jesus. That's why Hebrews 10 tells us that Jesus opened a new and living way to God through the curtain that is through his flesh. See the play on words there? The flesh, the humanity of Jesus was a curtain covering who he was as the Son of God. On the cross, that curtain of his flesh was torn and the curtain in the temple was torn by God supernaturally. What a beautiful reminder of what the Lord Jesus has done for us. And some understood this, one being the centurion in verse 39, who was beholding all of this taking place. And since Mark is writing his gospel to the Romans, it's appropriate for him to highlight a 
Roman soldier who sees Christ for who he really is. Truly, this man was the Son of God. Then he goes on to mention the women who were watching from a distance. So many faithful women who had had cared for the Lord Jesus and ministered to him throughout his entire earthly life, watching from a distance. This passage of Scripture compels us to come to Jesus, run to him, and embrace him, embrace him for who he is, He is the one who endured the pain of abandonment. He is the one who paid our sin debt in full. And he is the one who has opened a direct path to God. Jesus should be your only priest. You need no one else to bring you into the presence of God. You need to trust in the Lord Jesus. Father, thank you for helping us this morning to see the Lord Jesus in all that he is for us as sinners. Oh, what a Savior we have who endured every form of suffering that we would endure in this life. And he did this so that he could pay for our sins. But he also did this to become our high priest who can sympathize with us and empathize with us in all of our weaknesses. He was tempted in every way to sin, and yet he never sinned. And so he is the one and only perfect sacrifice. God, I pray, may these truths just resonate deep within our hearts that we will look more and more every day to Jesus and trusting in Christ and Christ alone. Father, you know each of our hearts, and I pray that your Spirit will take the message of your Word and apply it to each of us in the way that you know it's needed. For the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen.